Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Dave Hendrick. I'm from the Anfield Index. Uh, you can find me on the main AI pod, The Happy Hour, and yeah, pretty much every pod going at the moment. Um, I've got my own show with Steve Gennaro called All in Sports Talks, so check that out. And you can find me on Twitter at Dave Hendrick underscore AI. Hi, I'm James Mackay. I'm a West Bromwich Albion fan and writer for EPL Index. Hello, uh, I'm Jake, uh, a Newcastle fan. I write for EPL Index, Total Dutch Football and various other sites. You can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. All right, thanks so much to James for joining us for the first time and Dave and Jake for returning. All right, Dave, haven't had a Liverpool person on in a quick minute. What's been your take on everything Liverpool has been doing of late? I suppose it depends on your point of view, Kev. I mean... At this point of the season, results are really all that matters. So to have seven points after four games is probably better than I was expecting. Um, the performances have been nothing short of appalling, but at the same time, we've gotten some decent results. Obviously, beat Stoke away, got a draw away to Arsenal. Um, it, things are concerning, but we do have some players to come back. So it's kind of... Um, a holding pattern at the moment. Yeah, I uh, saw a couple of interesting stats I'd be interested to get your take on. So Liverpool, thir- three clean sheets out of four, second best in the league. Also two goals scored, tied for worst in the league. Obviously yeah. not what fits our kind of mental perception of how Liverpool are as a club. Do you think that both of those will regress, or are you thinking if the attack really starts clicking that you could still have the solidity at the back? Well, it's interesting, Kev. Like, we're playing... United obviously this weekend and including the last time we played United we've put this you know and, and the game since that's 14 games including two FA Cup games in those 14 games we've only scored two or more twice and that was against Newcastle at home last season when Newcastle had gone on the holidays and at home to QPR who were absolutely appalling and you know were pretty much down at that point in those same 14 games, we've conceded, conceded two or more six times. So the problem isn't that we're good at the back and struggling going forward. The problem is that we're terrible at both ends. Um, the clean sheets are, you know, they're kind of misleading. If you look at Liverpool under Brendan Rodgers, I don't think anyone would say we've ever been good defensively. But we have averaged like 12, 13 clean sheets a season. Um so I don't buy too much into the whole clean sheet thing. I tend to look at over a course of season how many times you can see two or more. And we, we can see two or more far too often. I mean, the Stoke game, yeah, we kept a clean sheet. They played one up front uh, in Diouf, who had a poor game. And if Glenn Johnson was a living, breathing football player, he would have scored from six yards out when the ball landed in front of him and he suddenly woke up. Um, that was a massive error by Lovren. We played Bournemouth. They don't really have any strikers or the, at the, you know, that you'd be kind of worried about. I know they've scored a few goals in the last couple of games, but at the same time, that was two clean sheets against two teams with nothing really in attack. Um, yeah, Callum Stoke, Wilson really hadn't found his feet yet. No, and Stoke were missing some players, you know, Bojan and, and, and the like. And then, obviously, we played Arsenal away, and... 
they haven't been very good to start the season. They don't really have what I'd class as a top four striker. I'm not big on Giroud. I think Welbeck's a waste of space. Obviously, he's injured as well at the minute. Their best attacker is Alexis Sanchez, who was playing kind of in a wide role. So, while we kept three clean sheets, I don't think we were all that good defensively. And I didn't think we were any worse defensively against West Ham. It's just that they punished the mistakes that the other teams hadn't punished. And then, obviously, there was the Lovren incident uh, for the second goal. But, I mean, their, thir- their first and third goals, that's very similar to things that have happened in previous games and we got away with them. I mean, the, the, the second goal they got where... I, like, Lovren has five opportunities to clear that ball. The worst-case scenario for any defender in that position is that you give away a corner... And somehow he manages to gift the ball. <laughs> For his goal. Yeah. It's just, like, I've honestly, like, I saw people saying, oh, that's Sunday League defending you. Like, that's an but insult. Sunday to League, Sun- you kick it away. Yeah, it's an insult <laughs> to Sunday League. Any Sunday League defender just hoys that out of the, out of the pitch. Like, I, he's just, he's an abysmal football player. And, um, <laughs> it's, it's Dayan. And uh, if anyone wants to buy him, we're open to offers. Yeah, Jake. It's not the, the best sell in the world, there, Dave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not a whole lot of people. Mate, to be honest, if if I could organise to have him fired from a cannon into the North Sea, <laughs> I would pay for it personally. Uh, while Even you if- while you already have the giant cannon rented, uh, could I bring Adebayor for the trip? You can, of course. Yes, yes, awesome. indeed. I'll pay for the usage, but it sounds like the equipment's already going to be taken care of. So, and if if um if uh. James would like to bring um, Aidan Bootsroyd. Yeah, well, you know, whoever's representing him, um, we'll, we'll gladly throw him in as well. Yeah, I yeah, think it's just his mom at the moment. Not not as like a your mom joke at all, but I, isn't he agentless Oh, because oh, he fired Aidy Ward, didn't yeah. he? Well, whoever it is needs a severe talking to, in any case. Yeah, definitely. All right, Jake, well, we just mentioned Liverpool scoring woes. Newcastle, the other team tied with just two goals along with Watford. I, among many other people, thought that Newcastle would be resurgent with their new signings. Uh, what, what's your take on what's happened? Are we just not there yet, or are you already giving a tinge of concern? Um, well, last time I came on, it was after the Southampton game, and obviously that went incredibly well. Well, <laughs> performance-wise, yeah. the result was the result could have been better. But I think I all Newcastle fans knew that you know, looking at our first ten games, that it wasn't gonna we weren't gonna be in the top half after ten games because we just have a ridiculous one run. If you think we've had. Uh, Swansea, Southampton, Manchester United and Arsenal. And then we've got um, Chelsea and Manchester City back to back in a couple of weeks as well. So, you know, it was always going to take time and McLaren and, you know, his staff need a bit of time with the squad. So that was always going to, it wasn't going to be an instant fix, especially, you know, you have to clear out the uh, sort of like the bad mood from last season. So that was always going to, you know, take time as well. But early signs have been that we've been quite good. I'd say the only game we haven't played well in was against Swansea and we did go down to 10 men fairly early like we did against Arsenal but still against Arsenal the defensive performance was there mm. so you know there have been positives just the, the result you know the results haven't been there yet but you know I've, I'm quite happy with where the squad is we could have done with a, maybe another striker maybe another centre-back yeah, before the window closed but that Austin didn't happen but you know we did spend we spent a re- oh. yeah I heard it was something to do with uh, 10 million and Rolando Aaron's which I thought oh, probably yeah. a good deal because Aaron probably going to be worth upwards of 10 million himself in a couple right. of seasons time so you know was, uh, I thought Austin was going to come all window but then I think we decided we had Mitrovic Cissé wasn't going to be sold so you know 
do we really need three sort of strikers that would be expecting to start? You know, Mitrovic will be available for the majority of the season when he's not banned. So, you know, he's probably he's <laughs> probably the fair, main striker. That's a pretty big assumption. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be banned a lot. He's, he's ridiculous. It was like when that, as soon as he made that tackle against Arsenal, I was like, what? he's gone, you know. Yeah. I mean, people have said it was the red card, but it's one of those ones that could be given. I think he's already got the reputation. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's and, and how, you know, after something like that, maybe you keep your head down for, for like a few weeks, but instead <laughs> gets, you show up to Serbia for, training with yeah. that shirt on. Well, yeah, then he, on, gets, man. he gets booked in his first game for Serbia as well. It's ridiculous. <laughs> he's, I don't know. He's just an absolute mental case. I mean, I, when we signed him, Angelic fans were saying, oh, he's calmed down a lot. And then we it's him just <laughs> him going. That's the concern like, is this is calmed down him. If you saw him in the Belgian league, it was genuinely worse. <laughs> it's it's a mess. But I, he, I still think it'll be a good signing. He arguably could have had three red cards already this season. That's not even an overstatement. So, you know, yeah, as a striker, <laughs> just what are, you, what are you doing? All right, uh, question I have for you. Musa Sissoko, I know you haven't been a fan, especially <laughs> as he tried to make a move away. Hasn't really done well this year in a team that largely has, as you've said. What, what, what's the plan with him going forward? Well, I think he's been, he was talking to the French press again, wasn't he? Uh, I think he was saying how he's, you know, he could have had a move, but he's decided yeah. to stay. And uh, all, all the others in the French squad are at bigger clubs, including Johan Kabay, which I think has been taken a bit out of context. I don't think he, re- I don't think he directly meant Crystal Palace or a bigger club than Newcastle. It's sort of, I think he was, I don't know what he was talking about. But I think he was talking more about when he played for PSG. I think mm-hmm. that's been taken way out of context. Um, but I don't know. I think I think he's a good player. I think you know he's good for Newcastle. We we play a lot better with him in the side than we do without, because obviously we've got. His, power and pace on the counter-attack mm-hmm. and our game is sort of counter-attacking now we've got like Talvan and Aaron's in the team so if we, we need him you know fit and you know in the team but I, Champions League he thinks he's ready for Champions League football I don't think he's good I don't think he has the technical ability to play Champions League football like he will so often misplace such a simple pass or his shots are just wayward I, I think if he just doesn't have like the te- the skill with the ball to play Champions League football, like you have. Doesn't um, have a particular fortune either. He he goes hiding in big games when you go. Yeah. He, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. But I I think I don't know. I, I think that's he goes he goes hiding a lot in the smaller games. But I, I find against the bigger clubs he plays well, and that's why he has this sort of reputation as this like incredible player. It's like he, what like, uh, Dembele had after he was so good against United for like yeah, three consecutive or remember matches. Remember the army as well. Yeah. Where he'd like if 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 the sky cameras are on, they turn up, yeah. and then and then four weeks out of five, they're absolute garbage. Like, and then you get all the people that watch match today just think they're brilliant, and they're yeah. they're actually not. Oh, also Eric Lamela fits into that pretty well. Yeah, only you know, you get, if you watch the highlights. You got, you're like, a, wow, what a player! And then you watch ninety minutes of him, and you're like, hold on to the freaking ball, please. Yes, it's so frustrating. It's so great, it's just so frustrating. Because he'll play against Chelsea. He dominates Chelsea every year without fail. And, yeah. you know, that's why he has this sort of reputation. He just absolutely just dominates Chelsea. But every other game, he's like, good. I mean, he's a, he's a decent player for Newcastle. But if he went any higher, he would fail. I mean, Kabai was the best player I've ever seen in a Newcastle shirt. And he went to PSG and completely failed. So if he can't do it, I don't think Sissoko can. Yeah. All right, well, James, we'll get to the Barahino thing at the back end of this, but what have you made <laughs> of yeah, what have you made of uh, West Brom's dealings of late? We, we haven't had Dan on lately, um, so just kind of update us on everything that's been going on at the Albion that's non-Barahino related. Have a few minutes okay. of joy, and then we'll complicate things. All right, I'll do my best. I think over the last few seasons or so, it's been a bit of a tough time for us. We've had 
a lot of relegation run-ins, quite a lot of managerial changes and quite a lot of drama behind the scenes. I feel that the general consensus is that under Tony Pulis, we probably do have the sort of structure and ability to try and kick on and ultimately consolidate our place in the league, which unfortunately with a local owner is probably all we can aim for right now. Um, he's had his first full pre-season Pulis and he's sort of conformed to stereotype really. He's brought in some big centre-halves. He's brought in Johnny Evans from Man United and, and James Chester from Hull. Eight million is a fee that I'm yet to be convinced by, but I suppose time will tell. And he's brought in a couple of big strikers. So he's brought in Ricky Lambert, obviously from Liverpool, who I thought at the time was a fantastic signing for us and he'd fit in just fine. And then um, Solomon Rondon as well. Um, who, for 12 million from Zen, it seems a steal. Actually, he looks a very, very good player. Under Hodgson a few years ago, there was a real feel-good factor about the club. And unfortunately, over the last couple of years, it sort of faded away. <laughs> We've been trying our best to bring it back. We've changed the the team's entrance music and we hosted something called Astle Day last season. Oh, was that when you had the really nice kits that, that were rolled out? Yeah, so that was the 1968 FA Cup final winning kit. So in true Albion fashion, they got kitted out. There were flags outside, anthems played, a big mural held up, and we ended up losing in the last minute, which sort of summed up the way the club was going. Oh, was that the, the one last... where Barry Hino could have taken it just to the corner, but instead decided to No, play. no. That was uh, that was last season, but I'm glad you remember that. And I'm sure we'll come. I'm sure we'll come to that at some point later. But with regard to transfers, as I've said, Pulis has done what Pulis does. He's tried to show us up the back. He's brought some big strikers, and he's actually been focusing on some British and Irish talent. If you look at the players he's brought in, Darren Fletcher, James McLean, Callum McManaman, Chester Lambert, and Evans, as I mentioned, they've got good work rate and they're strong players that are going to want to play for a guy like Pulis. Like players like Sessegnon now aren't really getting a look in. And that's sort of what Pulis is setting up for this year to try and win your home games, try and keep it tight away from home and see what you can do. Regrettably, it's been a bit of a baptism of fire for us. We had City and Chelsea at home first two games. Lost them both. And as Dave said, it is a results business at this, sort of this end of the season. And we weren't at the race at all. But... If you look at the results away from home, we drew away at Watford, never easy to go to a newly promoted side. And we managed to win away at Stoke, even though they did have nine men for about 65 minutes, we managed to sneak a 1-0. So I think we're in a stage now where Pulis has got his squad together and hopefully now the window's shut and we still have our supposed star striker, then we can kick on and, and try and get up the lead. Yeah, all right. Well, here it is, the doomsday portion. Uh, okay. Obviously, as a Spurs supporter, was very frustrated by all of the Barahino stuff. Uh, most notably on my end was the, the frustration with Jeremy Peace complaining that all of the public attention was what was really getting to Barahino when yeah, he was the yeah. one making everything public. Um, uh, Dan uh, is often on as our Albion correspondent, uh, is part of the Albion Assembly, and they got to speak with Richard Garlick, who's an executive within the club. And in that, that interview slash discussion, he brought up again a thing that I've already complained that Jeremy Peace mentioned, which is saying that, okay, maybe the bids were unacceptable. I can't speak to that. I didn't see the paperwork. But now both Peace and Garlic have come out and said that the problem was there wasn't enough time left to bring in a suitable replacement. You've already mentioned two of them yourself, Lambert and obviously Rondon, who I, I rate very highly. 
you had Brownie Day. You let him go on deadline day. I'm assuming once you realized you weren't shipping Barahino. So as an Albion fan, how did you take in that whole day, that whole saga? And do you think there's truth behind the statement that you didn't have replacements? Well, obviously I've got, I've got to fight my own corner first and foremost. So I'll, I'll try my best to stick up for the Albion whilst giving a balanced view. If you look at our squad at the back end of last season, our strikers at the club were Sada Berahino, Brownie Day, Victor Anichibi, and Georgios Samaras. <laughs> and I feel like that isn't a strike force that should keep you in the league. And we were very fortunate last year that Berahino hit form at a good time and managed to keep us up. And to be fair, the league table at the end did show that we'd ended up quite safe for, for quite some time. But for Albion fans, sort of internally, it became clear that we needed to buy strikers anyway because Samaras was on his way. We expected one of Ide and Anichibi to be shipped out. It turns out it was Ide that went to Olympiacos. So actually, seeing Rondon and Lambert come in, it wasn't an instant sign to us that that meant that we were ready to let Berahino go and it was time for him to go because being left with Rondon, Lambert, and Anichibi, that's not good enough either. So it's hard to defend the way that the saga went because obviously Tottenham expressed an interest very early on. But I still stand by the point that we are well within our rights to to say no. And unfortunately, Peace never told Daniel Levy what the actual price was that would price Berahino away. And as the saga drew on and on and on, it just became clear that it wasn't going to get done in time. Yeah, uh, now... Now that he's stayed, we just talked about all the the original drama. Now it's time to pick up the pieces. You have to clean house and see what's going on internally. He said he's never playing for peace again. Now we're hearing that he's already back in training, that he might be offered yeah. a bumper contract so that he still has value, which you have to do because if you turn down reportedly twenty three million when you were asking twenty five, and now he's going into the last year of his contract, well, he will in the next summer transfer window. Uh, what what do you make of that whole situation? As an Albion fan, are you looking forward to him playing for you again? Would you like him to sign a bumper contract, or are you just hoping to get rid soon? We've sort of been through it before. I know you'll know about Pierrot and Wingy driving down to QPR in <laughs> yeah. in January. Yeah, th- this is not new to us. Like we're used to all this scandal on deadline day. So Odd and Wingy drove down to QPR, and the Albion fans essentially went nuts and were not happy at all. He then Is it came true back. That the players put QPR kit in his locker. For the yeah, so match? we had at the time we had a few experienced pros who liked to prank, like James Morris and Stephen Reed were always into that sort of banter. And yeah, they left a QPR kit with his name and number on in the dressing room, and then, <laughs> by all accounts, were not too friendly with him on the training ground. And well, the point I'm making, I guess, is that Odden Wingy didn't really play for us ever again. He got shipped out, to, uh, I think, Cardiff first, then on to Stoke. And he got about 30 goals for us in the Premier League, and he looked a great striker. And then since then, he's only scored six times. So his career took a bit of a downward spiral. As for Berahino, it's definitely worse. The fans are absolutely apoplectic. They they think that he's treated the club with a lack of respect. They think that he's too big for his boots. And actually, that's echoed in what the players have been saying as well. You mentioned earlier about the game against Cardiff, where we were 3-2 up. And he, instead of taking the ball into the corner, he lost possession and they went up the other end and scored. Now, as fans, obviously, you've got to concede an equaliser against a relegation rival. But we didn't necessarily have a problem with that 
because he is a naive youngster and you're going to make mistakes. It was the fact that he didn't apologize and his big time attitude came in the way of it Mm. that everyone kicked off. And I think from his point of view now, he's not going to win the fans back over, but he's got to get his head down. He's got to get training, start scoring, because I'm not saying he's in Roy Hodgson's thinking, but Euro 2016 is next year. And if he really does want this big money move to Tottenham, then they're not going to pay the money if he's been rotting in the reserves for a few months. He needs to. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Get down and start scoring. Um, James, if I could just ask you, well, it's kind of a two-part question. I think you've, you've pretty much just covered what I was thinking in that West Brom kind of have the power now over him in that he'll want to be part of the Euros squad. And he really should. On Based on talent, he walks into the England squad. And number two, <clears throat> if he does want to leave West Brom, it's, he's going to want to go to one of the top six clubs. And the only way he's going to achieve either of those things is by going on the pitch, scoring goals and playing well. So West Brom do have kind of hold that over him. There's no way he can afford to sit out the season. But my question for you is in two parts. First of all, is the reason the fans are so upset about this because he's a homegrown player? Because he's come through your academy, realistically, he should be one of your own, you know, the way Harry Kane is at Spurs. And secondly, like, you've watched a bit of Rondon. I think him and him and Berahino could be a fantastic partnership. Like, do you you see that there is the possibility for Pulis to play those two together if Berahino gets this nonsense sorted out? I'll deal with your first question first. I think that, (coughs) obviously, yeah, Albion do have the power. And despite what I've said before, there are very few things as fickle as football fans. And if he comes out against, if he plays against Southampton on Saturday, I'm not sure what his involvement's going to be. And if he bags a brace, is all forgiven? I'm not entirely sure. But I think what has wound them up the most is that, as you say, he is an academy homegrown player. We've already lost Jerome Sinclair to Liverpool and we lost Izzy Brown to Chelsea. And, and it's Jan almost Dander. a frustrating... And Jan Dander, of course. <laughs> and uh, it's almost frustrating to see how quickly a young lad's head can be turned by whether it's a move to London, whether it's the money, I don't know. But... Albion fans generally will like a worker and like a passionate player. Like we've, we've had the likes of Jeff Horsfield at the club who never scored a bag full of goals, but he'd always put his, you know, he'd wear his heart on his sleeve and he'd put 100% in every game. For Berahino to start tweeting about the club, I just, it hasn't sat well with the fans at all. And as you say, if he does want to get in the England squad, he needs to be playing. Um, with regard to Rondon, it's, it's a tricky one because... From what I've seen so far, I mean, I go to I go to the home game, is that Pulis will tend to play one up front because he likes to have Darren Fletcher and Claudio Jakob in um, in a holding role in a four-two-three-one uh, formation. So 
whether there's space for Berahino and Rondon, I'm not sure, especially with Lambert sniffing around as well, who is Pulis's kind of player. Albion fans, when they realise Berahino might be going, jumped on the, oh, Rondon's better than him anyway, hype. And I'm not convinced true, that... It, it might be. It's well, much. from what we've seen so far, Berahino is a frustrating player. And when I saw he was going to Tottenham, and I, I know you signed Son, I think, and obviously you've got Harry Kane, who's a great player. Hmm. When I saw that Berahino was the only striker you were interested in, I was a little bit concerned because... He's a frustrating player, and he is a raw talent, of course, but he misses his fair share of chances. And if you want to be pushing for, you know, top five, maybe even top four, you need someone who's going to put the ball in the back of the net. And even though he got a fair few amount of goals for us, he isn't that clinical. And for us, I think we're seeing Rondon as our knight in shining armour now rather than Berahino. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. There was some talk of using him on the wing if we had brought him in, then obviously brought in Son and NG. Uh, and then he would have been probably our Europa League striker. Just, I think that the concept was just get somebody in so that Harry Kane can sit on a bench every now and again. Not have to well, for himself, Kane but. and Berahino, from an England perspective, the idea of Kane and Berahino playing together week in, week out is is great, you know. And I'm sure for, for the majority of England fans, they were hoping that Berahino would go there, but unfortunately, that's not how it transpired. Yeah, so, but so also, can... unfortunately, it was unlikely that we were going to go big man, little man. I realized that that probably could have and would have worked well, but I don't see Pochettino uh-huh. as being somebody that's willing to abandon the 4-2-3-1 that he's held so religiously on to. See, see, I think Kev, he actually would have gone back to what he what he did at Southampton, which was 4-2-1-3, and oh, played, and Son, a wide played Son, Son and Berahino as inside forwards. Yeah. And the, with, the person we keep Eric's leaving out behind. is Nasser Chadley, who's been one of the better players for Tottenham mm. over the last two years. So, yeah, it would have been interesting. Yeah, but he, he, he's got terrible hair, though, Kev. Oh, it's top notch. <laughs> you you cannot have a player in your team with that type of haircut and expect to make top four. It just can't be. <laughs> <laughs> well, despite all of those follicular issues, uh, we're going to let James off the hook here. I'll talk about Tottenham for a minute. It. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, thanks for your views. Um, with Tottenham. Uh, the biggest news is the Guardian's article claiming that the FA are willing to support Tottenham and Chelsea by allowing us, slash them, to use <laughs> Wembley uh, as a stadium uh, while the home grounds are being built. Uh, the current rule states that a club can't use multiple venues as their home ground within a season. So if that rule is still upheld and it isn't adapted to kind of fit this scenario, then that means we'd be playing all of our home games at Wembley, whether or not they'd have to shift that, because the the Chelsea build times are going to overlap. So whether or not they just kind of alternate us weeks, I'm not really sure how all that would happen. I think maybe changing the rule would be easier than kind of adjusting the whole schedule. Uh, Would only, I mean, it would be 30 plus matches, which is more than Wembley has claimed it could hold in the past. I don't know if that's based on zoning. I don't personally know a whole lot about British property law. Uh, Crazy, though that may be. Um... But it, it, there, there are complications. A lot of people read this and they were like, Spurs are on their way to Wembley. You're like, uh, Spurs are <laughs> past step one of being able to play at Wembley. Let's tone it back a little. There's still paperwork that needs to get done. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's, let's hold off on the celebrations. Would it be great? Yes. Is it better than going to MK Dons? Oh my God, yes. But there are still things in the works, so give it a break. But the fact that the FA are willing to do it when previously they had remained silent on the issue is a move in the right direction. 
Next up, Eric Dyer has signed a new contract through 2020, joining Kane, Bentaleb, Della Ali, Ryan Mason, Toby Alderweireld, and Kieran Trippier. All his players signed through 2020. Now, whether or not they all stay that long, probably unlikely. But the fact that we're going out of our way, and, and a lot of people are complaining that Levy isn't splashing the cash. I said last week, my biggest frustration with the Barahino deal is that there wasn't a second option. So the people that are saying we weren't willing to spend, I think I've missed the mark just a little bit um, because what we've seen is that money is now being spent internally. All of those players on new contracts, as well as Winks, Onama, and Pritchard, who are some of our best youth talents, also signing extensions over the summer slash early season. Uh, I I think that that's really the direction we're going, and it should be as we're going to need to cover the talent gap during all the stadium expenses. Uh, We saw what it did to Arsenal. It knocked them from title contenders to fourth-place contenders. We were fourth-place contenders to begin with. So if we don't have a whole lot of talent (laughs) in place, you know, I'm not saying relegation battle, but it's not great. Um, But the fact that we have all these young players coming through, like I said, we probably won't hold on to all of them. We lost Ishmael Azawai to Wolfsburg over the summer. It's the biggest loss a club has suffered that none of you will ever hear about. Was it an incredibly talented youngster? Uh, and we weren't willing to include him in the first team, which is very strange, considering as soon as he went to Wolfsburg, he immediately started training with the first team. Don't know what that was all about, but that's frustrating. I meant to be talking about Eric Dyer, so I'm going to do that some more. All right. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm less bullish on him than others with his potential as a defensive midfielder. And Dave, I'd be interested to get your take on this as you're dealing with a similar situation. We're seeing this like revigoration of... Uh, the kind of the util football player, right? Mm. Happens all the time in baseball. You have a player that's not as good as the rest of them in their individual positions, but he'll plug in anywhere. You have Chan willing to play right back or center back or defensive mid, which are the same three uh, positions in which Dyer plays. You're a year ahead of us on trying to do this transition. How, how has it worked so far? And can you really retool somebody to fit a whole different role going forward? You can if they're a player of limited talents, which is what I would class Eric Deer as. I, I don't think he's good enough to ever start. Oh, um, you can if they're a player of limited enough talents and a limited upside, which is what I think Eric Deer is. I, I, I don't see him as a player who can be first choice for Spurs, for where Spurs want to get, but he can be a utility player in a similar way to what John O'Shea was for United when, when they Daly were having... Blint is for United. Yeah, although I do think Daley Blint is, is going to develop into a, a good centre-back for them um, and he comes from good stock as well. See, the difference with, with Chan and Deere is that Chan is our best on the field player. Um, he's, he's going to be a regular for the German national team. He is going to be a top player. Now, that may not be at Liverpool because Brendan Rodgers didn't didn't pick him. He was a committee signing, and Brendan seems to want to pick his own players above the committee players. So he's now sat... Well, he's starting at the moment because Henderson is out injured, but he's behind Henderson. Now, at the moment, Henderson's ahead of him in terms of where they are as players, but if you were to tell me that I could have either... Jan or Henderson for the next 10 years, I take Jan. And it's his not upside, close. Yeah, because his upside is, is levels and levels ahead of Henderson. Right. Um, I would take Jan over James Milner in the morning, especially in central midfield. 
Rogers has this idea, and I do think it's becoming it's it's one of these new fads that you know if you play players in a bunch of positions, it helps their development because they're getting game time. I I think it's nonsense to be totally honest, and I think it actually it actually harms players' development. Mm. And I look around at a lot of players who were meant to reach, you know, the heights. And a perfect example is Musa Sissoko at, at, at Newcastle. This guy, when he broke through, was meant to become what Yaya Toure now is. Mm. That all-round dominant centre midfielder. But if you look back when he was actually coming through, he played a right-back, he played some games at centre-back, played holding midfield, centre midfield, he played some games wide on the right, played some games off the striker. And it... Players don't develop properly that way because each week they're trying to learn a new position. They're just starting over and yeah, they're gaining experience, but experience is just one of these myths that people have thrown on about. Well, because experience is supposed to beget confidence, but if you don't know what you're doing every week, you're not going to have it. Exactly. It's just something people drone on about to fill column inches. It doesn't actually mean anything. Like, people said, oh, Liverpool need experience, so that's why, you know, Lucas Leiva should play. Well, Lucas Leiva has experience of playing for mid-table Liverpool team. That's the experience he brings, mm. or of playing for the worst, you know, Brazilian team in memory. Where Emery Can doesn't have experience, but he's just got talent. He's got ability. He's got potential, and that's what you should be doing. And you need to harness that in the right position. And for someone like Deer, I, I, not as high on him as as some people. I do think he's a good player. Like, don't get me wrong, <clears throat> he's a solid centre back. To bring in if if Alderweireld's injured, yeah. you know, if if you need to plug a hole in midfield, he can do that. But uh, you know, in the long term, he's not someone that you should be looking at as one of your starters. But in terms of a core squad player that you could keep around and plug in here and there, yeah, he's got value in that respect. But yeah. it's a matter of how you develop him. You're going to need to give him plenty. Like he got a lot of games at right back last year. Yeah. And he, has a, he has a stunningly good cross for a player that was supposed yeah. to be a centre-back for years. And, and, <laughs> and if you give him a, a good run of games in midfield, he will pick up the nuances of the position. Yeah, and he, and he already has. Last week against Everton was, was very good, and, and that's why some fans are getting really hyped. But I, I will agree with you in that, you know, we were confident with him being the partner for Jan Vertonghen coming into the year. And then as soon as we got a whiff of the older world rumors, we were like, oh, right, yeah, no, we, we should improve that position. And I think it's the same thing with him as a defensive midfielder. Has he been competent there? Yes. Have some people thought he was excellent? Yes. But if you think that we're going to get back into top four chases anytime soon with him as our best holding midfielder, it's, yeah, it's not probably happened. not the case. Right. That's uh, why Wanyama was the Like, of the two guys that were linked with you heavily at the end of the window... Yeah. Wanyama was the one you really needed more than Berahino. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a shame Pochettino was worried about um, Sven Bender's injuries because from reports, that was all but done. Yeah. Which would have been a really, really good signing. I know you know he was part of a Dortmund side that really struggled mm-hmm. last year, but that was exactly what we needed. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, lastly, Harry Kane scored twice in two substitute appearances uh, for England. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into this in the topic here in a second. Uh, but but on to the side, I love the relationship that he's forming with Alan Shearer and, and Wayne Rooney. I think it's absolutely tremendous that he has both of those guys in his corner Agreed. constantly helping him. Um, we already know that Harry Kane is a hard worker. You know, it's one of the reasons, Dave, that I think you and I both thought he had limited upside when he came through. <laughs> is yeah. because it looked like he got here because of the effort, not because of the talent. And then over time, you're starting to be like, oh, okay, well, where's the ceiling? He should be hitting it. 
anytime. No? Oh, okay, we're just going to keep going. Uh, and I know a lot of people are really worried about the quote-unquote slump that he's in right now. He's played well. Against Everton was his worst match this season. But he's played well. He's created more chances than any other striker in the Premier League. Not his fault that we can't score off of them. Uh, but he, he is very talented, and especially at what he does. And the fact that he's coming into this kind of triumvirate of, of England strikers that are all willing to help each other is that Harry Kane's eye for goal is phenomenal. So if everybody can help him round out the rest of those things, I think it's going to be tremendous. And especially with, with someone like Rooney that's doing it right now. And you've there have been so many Ro- Rooney quotes from this week about how impressed he is with Harry Kane. And Harry Kane's going to take his job. And Harry Kane's going to be the next one to beat the record he just got, which isn't true at all because he didn't break through until 21. And he just doesn't have the extra four years that Wayne Rooney had. It's just, quite refreshing to see a player a young English player like Harry Kane. And obviously you draw parallels with the likes of Berahino, not that I want to go into that again, but you see a player who's keen to learn. He's looking to, he's willing to look for advice and improve his game. And on the flip side, you have a striker who thinks he's the bee's knees and he's done everything. So I think for Harry Kane, I think the goals will come and he's got exactly the right mindset to kick on and become a top, top player. Yeah, that's absolutely right. There was one quote, sorry to interrupt you, Dave. There was one quote he said in the offseason that completely flipped me on Kane. I I loved him, and he's one of our own and all that, but I still had reservations. Then I heard this mindset over the summer, and and now I'm just in love with him. And it was, I want to look back on last year as a good year and a great career, not a great year and a good career. And I think that's exactly the the mentality he should have. I think the big big issue he's going to have, though, is that defenders are now aware of him. Yeah, like I think Son <clears throat> is the best thing that could happen, though. Somebody that yeah, can actually totally. stretch the defense and actually and see, create their own problems. And that's why I thought Berahino made a lot of sense as well, because then you've got three guys that you have to focus on. You can't double up on Kane and think everybody else isn't going to do anything. Yeah. So, like, I, I still, I still think Kane's ceiling is relatively low in terms of like international quality. Mm. I think he'll be a 15-goal-a-season Premier League striker, which is, you know, it's fine. Yeah. But if he's your top... if Unless you have a front three that are all getting 15, then which, he... Which, to be fair, last year we were the only side with three 10-plus goal scorers. Yeah, exa- exactly. And that's, fi- and that's why it worked a lot of the way as well, because you had dangerous players around him. And obviously Ericsson draws so much attention and is so intelligent. That it takes a lot of focus, but now, especially with Ericsson, you know, having the the issues he's having at the minute, it, all the focus is on Kane, and he's like, as you said, he's the highest scoring creator. But you need him to score the chances that he's <laughs> right. creating. Yeah. So. And that that was exactly the problem in the Everton matches. He wasn't pushing the line forward, which he had done in the first three. <laughs> he was sitting back and waiting for people to make the runs, and nobody on Tottenham makes the runs, which is why I think see- Son is so important. And the one-on-one he got as well, Kev. Oh, like, last year, Keynes buries that so buries much. Buries that, but he looks he he looked shattered. Yeah. When that ball came through to him, like he didn't look like he was he ha- he was even going to make it he as far as the goal. Yeah, yeah he, he looked tired. <laughs> well, he was offside, and I think he knew it also. Yeah, I think he was really to talking about. Back. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, we just spent forty minutes talking about our clubs, so we're going to hit the topic very quickly. Um, <laughs> already mentioned how well Kane did on the international break. How much weight do you put on international performances, especially with England, against quote-unquote lower sides? And do you think it impacts a player's club form? Um, Not much. <laughs> yeah, exactly the same. I don't put much into it. Like beyond very... what I mentioned earlier, that it's probably just good watching the ball go in the net? 
Yeah, it's good for confidence. That it, it will be really good for Harry Kane's confidence to, to score And they were two again. good goals. Regardless of who you're playing against, both of them were taken very well. Um, but, I mean, I, 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 just, I can't put any stock into game. Like, if we were talking about England playing two good teams, then I'd, I'd be a bit more into it. But, you know, playing Dross, I mean, you really have... You I just think it's a completely different game. I really think it's a completely different yeah. game. You've got the of Kyle Lafferty for Northern Ireland, who is one of the highest scorers in qualifying, and he can't buy a game for Norwich. And he's never really pulled up any trees anywhere else he's been at a high level. And I just think that you get average players with the greatest respect to Northern Ireland and Kyle Lafferty. You get average players in average international sides who score a couple of goals against a terrible side like the Faroe Islands. And... I just don't think it has much bearing at all. The likes of, you know, Wayne Rooney's just broken the England goal scoring record. He's yet to score for United this season. He's come under a lot of criticism for his performances. And then you look at people like Thomas Muller, Lucas Podolski, you bang them in for Germany and don't quite do the same at club level. I think it's a completely different kettle of fish and you can't really, you can't really take much by it. I'll put it this way. Robbie Keane is four goals away from tying Miroslav Klose as, you know, the highest scoring you know, international player that's still active in the game. And yeah. Robbie Keane is not a particularly great football player. Well, he wasn't managed... Liverpool. He was fine at Tottenham. He was, he was fine, the last thing. He was fine. He was fine with, with, with Berbatov, who's tremendous. Like, he's a fairly average player in the, on the whole. He scored 67 goals for Ireland. Rooney has scored 50 goals for England. And, like, with, with Rooney... He's one of those streaky, patchy strikers who scores a bunch and then doesn't score for ages. Um, you know, it's just it's it, it's good for them to get confidence. But the other thing as well, I mean, they're they're playing under Hodgson for England, so you, you want as little as that as a little as little as that as possible. <laughs> He's I, a I former last day, but I leave him alone. I I actually think that the international form is quite important in in a way for club form. I mean, I think Kane. Kane's goals will give him like confidence going back to Spurs. I mean that he was lacking, especially you know in the in the third and fourth matches. He didn't look as you know he obviously looked like he was lacking something, and that might give it to him. And you know especially with the Euros coming up, England have now qualified. You know Wales looks set to qualify. I think did they qualify in the end? I'm not I'm not totally sure on that, but you know they look they look like they're going as well. And you've got all these teams starting to qualify, and you've obviously got like the Dutch who are like on the out on the, on the offset. So you know. <laughs> you, you know, I think, you know, with Euro 20, 20, um, 2016 on the horizon, it will definitely, like, now teams starting to qualify will definitely have an impact on their form. Because especially what I've seen at Newcastle, when there's a championship on the horizon, we are just, players just play twice as well as they would if they wasn't. So, you know, you have that sort of element, whether that's, like, the international matches themselves, like, impacting it, not so much, but sort of, like, the, the thought of a tournament definitely gives players at the, like the smaller Premier League clubs mm. a lot more you know impetus and sort of confidence and sort of reason to do well and I mean I'll, I'll pick out a few players scattered around the Premier League that I think could have incredible seasons just because of the um you know the Euro, Euro 2016 Nathan Redmond <coughs> is going to be one I can see him yep. in, in in the England squad going into going to the Euros because I think he's he's the sort of you know I don't know we've got a lot of players like him in the England squad but he started the season well you know he looks a lot better in in the Premier League after a year in the Championship and I think he's somebody who could do really well and you, you know I think Sissoko who we've talked about already I think he's going to have a good season just because of the Euros coming up and he, you know he's 
in, he's very much liked by Didier Deschamps. So you know, he's that's another one. Um, and then you've got the a lot of the players uh, that Aston Villa signed that I think could could do really well. Oh, I think like they just incredi- and yeah, exactly. Day yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Amavi has looked really good this year. Yeah, you know, especially Veratu. I think he's sorry, James. This just isn't your good. show. Yeah, there's players, you know, around the Premier League that will do a lot better. And I think that's why you'll get sort of results, sort of the more shock results this season. Although you get them every year, I think it'll be more so and it'll be so more competitive just because the Euros, you know, are coming up at the end of the year. Yeah, speaking about uh, players moving for opportunities to play in the Euros, I would just like once again to remind everyone of a gentleman by the name of Stephen Cocker who left Tottenham to join Cardiff so he could get a chance at the World Cup, then was shocking for them. Whether or not it was his fault or the other three people being incompetent, I'm not going to argue that point. It could have been either. Then goes to QPR, then finally realizes he can go to Southampton because, you know what, he might not be amazing, but he's better than Maya Yoshida. He's there for about a month. He's like, this is great. I'm playing for, you know, top six, top seven side. This is really nice. I'm probably going to have a chance at the Euros. And then they bring in Virgil van Dijk. And now it's just all in tatters. And it's all because he couldn't wait one year to continue developing at Tottenham. Everybody was already hailing him as the next Ledley and how great it was going to be. He left for mediocre coaching two years in a row. Finally ended up in a good spot only to be superseded by van Dijk, who I view as the better player of the two. I actually think two of them are going to end up in the partnership though, Pep. Ooh, dang. You think Vaughn's the one that gets dropped? Yeah, I do. I think I think might take the guts of the season, but I, I do think that's the plan, is to have those two as the partnership. That's ballsy. Not, like, if they did it, yeah. It is, and but but if you look at it, like if they go Fraser Forster and goal, Cedric Soares at right back, and then either Bertrand or, or Target at left back, those two in central defence, and then Wanyama. It's a very athletic class, back four. Yeah, it, it, it is. And then they've got Wanyama sitting in front of them, protecting them, and then say Jordi Classy. Oriel Romeo, James Ward-Prowse, whoever plays with Wanyama. Like, Should be classy, but yeah. Yeah, you, like that's going to be a hell of a defensive unit, especially under Koeman, who, who has a fair idea how to set up a defense. Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, it's all going to be interesting. That well, So everybody keep your eyes on that. I honestly hadn't thought that Font was droppable. Um, but if, if it is, you're right. That, that would be, you know, five years from now, that would be the team you'd want them to have. Mm. Uh, so we'll, we'll definitely keep an eye on that going forward. All right, no time for player watch. We're going to jump straight into match previews before we head out of here. We're going to start with James. If you'd be kind enough to run us through Albion's upcoming match against Southampton, who we just mentioned. Um, we've been a bit unfortunate first two home games, obviously playing City and Chelsea are two very, very good sides. Um, I don't think Southampton are the team they were last year, uh, whether that's because they're in a period of transition with signings, whatever. But I feel that we can get a result this weekend. Um, we got four points off in the last season, but of course it was Sado Berahino that got the winner at home. So I'll be really interested to see if he features because Rondon scored in midweek for Venezuela. He scored last time out against Stoke. So I imagine he'll lead the line. He's pretty much our number one striker now. Um, he'll probably lead the line. The likes of James McLean, Callum McManaman might, might play also. Um it's the sort of game that will be targeting points at home. Tony Pulis likes his home games. And as I said, I don't think they're the side they were last year. They had a dodgy result against Everton. I think they lost at home 3-0, but then they turned Norwich over the following week. So 
they obviously a little bit unpredictable. Um, it's our first opportunity to show what we're about. As I said, we play tough teams. This is the first chance that we can show everyone what we're about. And I think it'll be a tight game, but I think we might just nick it. All right, thanks, James. Up next, we have Dave talking about Liverpool's upcoming travels to Old Trafford. Yeah, um, I mean, this is like when the fixtures come out, the four games we always look for are United home and away and Everton home and away. And this is our first kind of real big game this season. Um, the Arsenal game, we, we don't get a lot from Arsenal, so we never really go there expecting much. But United, we just, to lose to United, like it doesn't just ruin your day, it ruins your week. And the build-up to it has been a little bit downplayed, I think, because we're coming off a terrible result. We're not looking particularly good. They don't look particularly good. I don't think United and their fans are very happy with how the transfer window turned out um, in the end. I'm really concerned about this game, truth be told. Rumours are that Liverpool are going to play the same team that played against West Ham, except with Ings coming in for Coutinho. So we're losing our best player and our most creative player. And we're not addressing any of the actual issues in the team, such as the defence, the mess of the midfield, or the lack of creativity up front. So I, I'm quite concerned. I, I'd like to think we can go there and get a result. But in all honesty, I, I, I'll, say, I'll say I think it's going to be a draw, but that's purely because I can never suggest that we'd lose to United. Dave, in the second half in the West Ham game, Rogers changed it. So I, I think he went three at the back. Yeah. And then, obviously, flat back four first half. Is he likely to do the same again, or is he just likely to stick with the, the flat back four and then bring someone in for Coutinho? I think he'll stick with the flat back four. Um, by all accounts, that's how they've been training this week. <clears throat> I think he learned his lesson with the back three last year against United. Like, he stole that back three, the 3-4-3 three, three thing. He stole that off Van Hal. So yeah. And then Van Hal absolutely schooled him in both games. <laughs> I think he I think he'd be an absolute moron to go and try it again. Um even though like if you look at what we've got available, it, it probably is our best option would be to go with say Gomez Skirtle and Sacco as a back three with Klein and Moreno um out wide Henderson or sorry, Milner and Shan in midfield, then Firmino behind Benteke and Ings. That's probably the best of what we've got available. But I just think he's too, like, he's adamant that we don't need to change the style of play to fit Benteke, despite, you know, growing evidence to the contrary and very little to support that view. Every and other think, person on the face of the earth saying that you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, well, like, you know, we yourself, we've had all the ex-players come out and say, oh, Benteke's this and he can fit into that system and... There'll be no need to alter things. And I'm sorry, but anyone who's watched us play, like the style of play has altered massively. And we are slinging crosses in to beat the band and playing long ball football. And it's been quite abysmal. And it does nobody any favours. It doesn't suit our most talented players. And it's not helping him because the players who are around him aren't suited to playing that way. So they don't know how to react when the ball goes up to them. They're all 20 yards too deep. So... It's not helping him. It's not helping the rest of the team. 
I, I just I think I, I do think the three five two would be our best bet, but I think Rogers is gonna go four three three. Yep, then Tottenham visit the Stadium of Light in the early match on Sunday. Sunderland's defense has been tragic. Ten goals in four games they've allowed. Uh, now they're facing Tottenham, who who have had some attacking struggles, but I think this is exactly the cure we need. Thinking it's probably going to be Kane up front with Son, Mason, and Chadley. Still looks like Erickson is iffy. Doesn't look like he'll be back in time. But Nasser Chadley, I just mentioned before, very vital to our attack, uh, is now facing the worst link, Billy Jones, in the worst defense, Sunderland. Uh I think he's just going to absolutely, uh, to Americanize this, go ham. Um, I've had <laughs> enough of this Albion bashing tonight, Kevin. Huh? Billy Jones, <laughs> Billy Jones is ex-Albion. He was, he was okay for us, I thought, Billy Jones. But, you know what he hasn't he been? Okay for Sunderland. He has been <laughs> abysmal. And, you know, I, I know, Dave, we talked, I think, on your show about Adam Matthews, who's very mm. talented, injured at the moment, messed up an ankle yeah. ligament. They brought in DeAndre Yedlin, who couldn't get into the Tottenham side, because when he showed up, uh, the management was like, so he doesn't have technique? Is that a problem? Or They're like, nah, he's, he's really, really quick. He's super fast. And everybody keeps deciding that he should be a, a left winger because he doesn't have the defensive acumen to be... Or sorry, a right winger because he doesn't have the defensive acumen to be a right back. But he also doesn't have ball control, which is a thing... This is why he's a right back. <laughs> it's the same argument we heard with, with Glenn Johnson for years and mm. the people tried to make with Kyle Walker. Yeah. There's a reason they're Sorry, a Sorry, I think you're referring to young player of the year, Kyle Walker. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Sorry, uh, I need to keep that inside. But anyway, Billy Jones, been awful. Nasser Chadley's going to get by him. Kane's probably going to get off the schneid. Um, I think a, a Chadley chipped cross to Kane for a header seems the most likely outcome in this match. Uh, I think equally, though, while Vertonghen and Toby Alderweireld have started to, to develop a very good partnership at center back, it's inevitable that Defoe scores, and Lenz is going to get a goal or an assist, as he has done all season. Just mentioned Kyle Walker. Uh, jokes on the Fantasy Podcast. Kyle, two mistakes a game, Walker, as I'm pretty sure you'll find on his birth certificate. Uh, and Jeremy Lenz uh, is no joke, guys. Like, this is not a drill. This is not a, a new player that hasn't been found out yet. This is how good Jermaine Lenz is. And uh, Kyle Walker does have the pace to keep up with him, but he's also going to make mistakes once he gets there. Uh, and I think Lenz will probably end up with a goal and an assist. I think that assist will be to Defoe. So for those keeping tally of my random comments, I think it's going to be 3-2 to the Tottenham's. It's a big test for that midfield of yours, Kev, as well, because... It is. Jan Sunderland has are, been very good. Yeah, very, very good. He does a re, like, he's not at Sunderland because that's his level as a player. He's at Sunderland because he's a moron. He's at Sunderland because freaking Leroy Fair failed a medical. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the best tripping upwards move I've seen since Mike D'Antoni in the NBA. Three of you got that reference. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> now, lastly, Jake... You're going to be traveling to face West Ham. Whether you're going to see the good West Ham or the bad West Ham, they're the most Jekyll and Hyde team I've seen in quite some time. How do you think you'll perform against them? Well, you know, this is really a win-win for Newcastle because, you know, West Ham, they they lose, you know, the, the rubbish teams and they beat the good teams. So if we lose, that means we're a good team. So 
you know yeah we, 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 we either get the points or you know we get some sort of recognition as a good team it's not so, it's not a great sign that you're immediately going to, to that. <laughs> that's the logic of a man who thinks he's gonna lose yeah that is exactly no i don't I, i'm pretty confident to be honest west ham haven't looked good i think we've we've played well three out of four games we just haven't had the points so to, to give that back to us i think I've read a stat today. I think we've had the least amount of shots in the division, which is a bit of a concern. But when you think we've had played against Arsenal and Man United, and we've played like about a hundred minutes with ten men on the field, you know, it's gonna it's something that's gonna improve. We have a really good attacking lineup. I think at the weekend, I think it's pretty pretty much confirmed. It's gonna be. I think it's gonna be. I'm not sure how. I'm not sure how where Wijnaldum fits into it. But there's talk that in training we've been using the De Jong as in the number ten. And Perez up front, where Mitrovic is suspended, and they played really well in the uh, League Cup together. So that should, that's uh, quite positive because they sort of had a good link up. But I don't know, not sure where Wijnaldum fits into it. Whether he goes back and plays sort of like the uh, the double six role where he was um, sort of seen to play where, when we signed him, he might go into central midfield alongside a Nietzsche or Colback. Uh, then obviously we have Sissoko and Tovan uh, on the wings. I'm really excited to watch more of Tovan because when he when he's joined, I was a bit skeptical about him, but he, he sort of on his debut he did play some insane football. Yeah. Uh, against Northampton, and I think he got like three assists and a goal, which was better than Remy Cabella got throughout the whole of last season. I mean, it was against Northampton, <laughs> but you know we, we'll take it. Um, I don't know. West Ham got a good. They've got some good players. I think. I think it's going to be one of those game, games where somebody's going to get a player sent off because we're both awfully disciplined. So hopefully that's West Ham. And, but uh, yeah, I reckon it will be. Uh, I reckon it could be McLaren's first win in the league. Um, it's going to come somewhere, and we've got West Ham this week and Watford next week. So it has to come in one of these two games. Then we've got Chelsea and City, so it's not coming then. So yeah, I, I can see it being a tight two-two-one win um, with. Perez and Sissoko getting the goals. Interesting. All right, and with that, we are out of time. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or if you'd like to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Uh, so All in Sports Talk is the new show I'm doing with Steve Gennaro, pretty much talking about all sports. We had Kev on one of the early shows, and we'll hopefully have him back on again. Uh, we... Basically, yeah, cover all sports, all topics. Um, so that's at All In Sports Talk on Twitter. The website is allinsportstalk.com. You can also find me at the Anfield Index. Um, I host The Happy Hour again with Steve, and I do the main podcast with Gags and the rest. And you can follow me on Twitter at DaveHendrick underscore AI. You can follow me on Twitter at Jamiroquai. And yes, that is a pun on Jamiroquai. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks for listening uh get uh read all my stuff for epl index and uh total dutch football if you're interested in the Eredivisie or just reading about how rubbish the dutch national teams are these days so check that out and uh, you can get me on twitter at jake jackman with twins yes the dutch team has been absolutely horrendous uh so be sure to check that out uh for me i'm at kevroff on twitter also your host here uh I guess I don't have to tell you how to find this podcast. You, you nailed it uh, if you're already listening to it. Um, then uh, the FPL Roundtable, where we talk about fantasy sports uh, with me and Rob Langevin. You can find uh, that if you just check into the EPL Roundtable stream as well. That's out on Thursday mornings. 
Uh, you can find my musings over on blog.playtalga.com where I cover Crystal Palace, Tottenham, and Sunderland. You can also check out theeaglesbeak.com where I have a weekly article out on player price points and who to bring in and drop from your squads each week. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank Let me you. help you keep listening. <laughs>